0: from here to the idea that suffering is also sometimes temporary and sometimes replaced with greater joy than the previous sorrow. Many who have adopted went through an experience of, for instance, not being able to have children for a certain amount of time. In my own lives, we experienced this for 10 years of marriage before God allowed us the adoption process, and what a joy and what a blessing that is. And there was great sorrow at times, great difficulty, even suffering. Church services that took place on Mother's Days and Father's Days were difficult. And at that time, I was even pastoring and preaching those Mother's Days and Father's Day services, and that was painful. There were other instances where other people are having baby showers, and we're not seeing that experience. And we want to be happy for others, but we're sorrowful in and of ourselves. And yet to see God replace all of that with such a greater joy when that day of adoption takes place. And this is just one example of how God works in this way. One of the passages that comes to mind is that our God is one who can restore the years that were eaten by the locust, meaning that when a locust swarm comes in and they do what they do to farmland, the devastation can last for years. And yet God is able to, in one sweeping moment, not just give you back this year's crop, but he can actually make such abundance and such um, uh, blessing take place that it overwhelms the sense of loss in the in the previous in the previous years, and we have experienced this personally in our own lives. So remember that sometimes the loss you're feeling, the suffering you're feeling, is actually in preparation for the greater joy that God is bringing. We can see this in Christ, can't we? Christ endured the cross, despising the shame. He suffered much at the hand of sinners. Why? For the joy set before Him. There was something greater ahead that He recognized that made, dare I say it, the suffering and sorrow worth it. Now, if you apply this to the missionary life, think in terms of some of the things that you are going to be called to sacrifice, things you're going to be called to suffer through for the name of Christ. And you have to think in terms of the worth of Christ and the glory yet to be revealed. Scriptures come to mind such as this momentary light affliction is nothing to be compared to the glory yet to be revealed. So we press on in such times knowing that what we're doing is not in vain, that it's worth something, that it has value, and that no suffering that we experience for Christ is something that God is just dismissing and overlooking and hasn't been witness to and won't reward. He even says to his disciples that no one who's left father and mother and, and houses and lands for my sake will not receive a hundredfold in this life and in the next. So he has a reward for that work and he recognizes that. The problem is the suffering we sometimes experience doesn't necessarily seem to be for the name of Jesus, does it? it seems as if what we're experiencing is actually more pointless than anything else. And that's where we really do have to trust as believers and followers in Christ in the sovereignty of a God who is working out things in our lives, who is not wasting these experiences, but is building something in us. And sometimes it's simply the fact that we are enduring with patience what it is that we're experiencing in order to, by faith, receive a greater reward, recognizing that this is producing faith in us, it's drawing us closer to the Lord, and it's creating in us, what? A richer prayer life, a greater dependency on the Lord. Maybe perhaps we're running to the scriptures in a way we wouldn't if the suffering wasn't there, and this is truly one of the reasons that we may be enduring some things in our lives, because it's pressing us toward Christ in a way other things that would happen in our lives wouldn't. Perhaps you're at a point in your life where if God were to abundantly bless you in that particular area that you're so desperate to experience, it may actually drive you away from the Lord. You may become so confident or so satisfied or so comfortable that you would not actually want to take that time to pursue the Lord so desperately. And while God is not trying to be cruel in your life necessarily, He recognizes that ultimate good is only found in Him. And so He's drawing you closer and closer to Him, building the character that can actually what? Sustain what it is you're asking Him to entrust to you. I want to take you down another road here. There are instances when it is... So God's glory and power can be revealed at a certain time to certain people. If we think of an example, there is a blind man in John chapter 9. And the disciples, of course, are asking, why is this man born blind? Was it his sin? Was it his parents' sin? Whose sin was it that did this? And the answer was, neither. This was so that the power of God, the glory of God, could be revealed through him. Think about that. The way God looks at time is very, very different. If your scope, your, uh, your parameters for time is eternity, if the parameters you have, the spectrum you have in mind is truly the full beginning and end of the human timeline, then a couple of years, 20 years, 30 years, 100 years, perhaps even as Scripture says, 1,000 years may really only seem as one day, and a day is a thousand years. And so as God is working these things out, recognizing that we are also eternal beings and that He already knows our presence with Him in eternity, then introducing and sustaining something in our lives for a limited amount of time and allowing God's glory to be revealed in us in that particular moment after perhaps, even as this man did, 30, almost 40 years of being blind, I want you to think in terms of what the man experienced once he could see and what God did in his life as a result of that. There was a moment there where perhaps even this blind man would say it was worth it. So there are times in which what you're waiting on is for God to reveal his own glory, his own power in his own time, in his own way, for the sake of even others who you don't even know yet who will be a witness to what it is that God has done, perhaps even to the point where they come to faith in Christ. Now, if you evaluate the weight of that, if you think in terms of what that looks like for your life, that you perhaps have gone through some suffering in this life, but the end result of that is when God's glory and power is revealed to them, they then believe a life has been changed not just in a moment and for a moment, but for eternity. Is your 30 years of difficulty, suffering, pain, even to some extreme amounts of greater value—and I'm careful when I say this because of some of the things that may be coming to your mind from your life today—but is it of greater value and worth than someone spending eternity in a very real place called the lake of fire? When we evaluate what that looks like, are we willing to suffer with Christ even in ways we don't understand? that are for His purposes in order for that to take place in a life. Well, when you weigh it out that way, I think we would agree that perhaps we have had a smaller view of what it is God can do through those experiences, no matter how awful we've experienced and, or will experience in order for such things to take place. And I believe this is one of the keys for why so many who are persecuted as believers around the world are able to endure the way that they do. Because there is a strong sense of God's purpose and of the witness that is provided to these people so that they may someday know this Christ. It's when we can't see that yet and when it's not such so directly tied and linked to such experiences that we probably suffer the most. But I want to encourage you in the Scriptures to entrust your soul to a faithful creator in doing what is right. So, we see from Isaiah chapter 53, as we see this prophetic word about the coming Christ, that God truly can see a bigger picture of how suffering will bring about good. There is so much depiction of the suffering of Christ in that chapter, and yet there is so much good that has come. Actually, the chapter speaks very little of the good that will come compared to the suffering He would endure, and yet He did it for us. And there are things that we're going to be called to as believers. We will be glorified with Him if indeed we also suffer with Him. And this can be difficult in your life to understand and grasp and grab a hold of and be able to really say, okay, uh, I embrace this, not knowing why it's happened, but so that God may be glorified through my life. May it be useful for Him so that others may see Christ and believe on this Christ, even post-mortem, even beyond my life, beyond what I can see today. I'm willing. I'm willing to be entrusted with a measure of suffering so that Christ may be glorified through my life because I'm not my own. I'm bought with a price. I belong to him, not me. He can do as he pleases with me and I get eternity with him free from this suffering. That is a difficult place to get to, if we're really honest, isn't it? We would mentally say, I believe I say amen to that. I can see logically where you're going, but if you're in the midst of real grief or suffering or pain or agony or evil or injustice right now, sickness even, that can be a difficult thing to get to. And I believe we only get there by faith. I believe we only get there by voicing that cry to the Lord for the understanding to be able to endure in that way and to let patience have its good work in us, to consider the glory coming, to set our minds on things above and not things beneath. For to set the mind on the flesh really is death, but to set the mind on the spirit is life and peace, not only from a spiritual sense, but emotionally and physically as well.